So many things have ruined my childhood So I go on like to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh-huh, uh-huh. Predators, uh-huh. Marvel, uh-huh. DC, uh-huh. Maybe it doesn't all quite fit Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks Could it be I've misunderstood This podcast ruined my childhood Hello everyone and welcome to This Podcast Ruined My Childhood. I'm Phil Durasmo and with me is Eric Wilinski. Hey folks, how's everybody doing tonight? I hope you're being most excellent to one another. I believe they all are being most excellent to each other, especially since the release of Bill and Ted Face the Music. That's right, everybody. This week on this podcast, Ruined My Childhood, we're going to discuss the Bill and Ted trilogy. For a long time, we thought there would just be two entries into this franchise, and there has always been rumors and swirl and talk about a third film. For at least 20 years, 20 plus years, there's been a talk of this, and It just never seemed like it was going to come to fruition. But then in 2019, out of nowhere, Alex Winter sent a tweet confirming that the movie was going to be filmed and released in 2020. Now, the movie was released video on demand at home, but it still was released as, you know, obviously a new release for 2020, and I couldn't be happier. Traveling back to San Dimas and hanging out with Bill and Ted has brought very excellent vibes to me. So, Eric, as we always do, why don't you tell us about your memories of Bill and Ted from 1989, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and the follow-up in 1991, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? Well, this is one of the few franchises that kind of got by me. I was not a, quote, Bill and Ted fan from back in the day. I have only until recently seen either film all the way through. Yeah, I can say that's okay. It's okay that I missed this one. They're okay films, and I could see where if I was a kid, I might have been a little more impressed with them. You know, been that 12, 13, 14-year-old teenager watching these, you know, couple of knuckleheads and their shenanigans. But uh, but overall, I, I have no deep connection to them, and watching Face the Music... I would say redeemed the franchise, uh, considering Bogus Journey was just very bogus. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, I I was eight in 1989, and I I am pretty positive I didn't see this movie in the theater, Um, as well as in 91 with Bogus Journey. I would have been 10, and I'm pretty positive I didn't see that in theaters either, but... I, I don't remember when I first saw these. It probably was, once again, as as I always say, at a friend's house at a sleepover. We probably watched them back to back. I don't recall. 
but I do recall loving Excellent Adventure and really liking Bogus Journey because, I mean, as a 12, 13-year-old, Bogus Journey and, like, all all my friends and I would do is walk around yelling station. Like, it was, that was the thing to do for us. You know, we did air guitar and in our heads the played, but, you know, obviously it didn't in real life, unfortunately, like it does for Bill and Ted. It didn't. No, can you believe it? It's just this movie that, it didn't, like, define my preteen into teen years, but it were it was movies that I saw during that time that I always went back to and just truly enjoyed and thought were just fun, fun films. I loved the fact that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was this adventure through time. You know, I, I had seen Back to the Future and I loved Back to the Future and it took this adventure through time in a whole different direction in such a fun way that I just, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then Bogus Journey, yeah, it, it has its problems. It definitely has its problems. But still, overall, it's more of just a fun fantasy movie than just a, a crappy film that was made to make some money. You know, you could tell that they made it because they they loved the characters and they had fun with the characters. I would agree. First and foremost, I have problems with the time travel rules. I know whenever you're dealing with a time travel movie, you got to throw a lot of logic and you know, what really could happen out the window. And, and that's fine. And, and you can get into their world, start to follow their time travel rules. I was just really confused, though, that they had a time limit on how much time they had to go through time to get back in time to go to their test, <laughs> when in fact, they had literally forever yeah. to study for this history test. They could have gone back as old men. It's funny you say that because they then take those rules that they set up in both Excellent Adventure and the first five-sixths of Bogus Journey and turn it on its head at the end of Bogus Journey. Right, because then they take the time machine and then take five years to go learn how to play music. 18 months. Or 18 months, mm-hmm. yeah. I like the premise of time travel as they set it up in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and then continue it in, in uh, Face the Music. In Face the Music, they're saying time isn't linear, but they're also saying time has to be linear. And it's like this weird contradiction that forces the plot to keep moving. And I like that concept that no matter what you're doing, you if you time, time travel at 3 p.m. and you take two hours to time travel, you can come back to 3 p.m., but you're now missing the you that was supposed to be there is now missing 5 p.m. And I just think that's... I think that's a cool way to do it. Uh, you had to run that one by me again. So let's say you were to time travel right now at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Oh, I get you. I get you. So if I do make it back to 3 p.m., but there is no 5 p.m. me. But that doesn't make sense in the continuity of their films either because they are there. Well, yes and yes and no. They're there it's just it's very confusing and i think they did a good job writing it so that it wasn't confusing an excellent adventure but they made it confusing in bogus journey by contradicting themselves and then face the music i think did a really good job of explaining it in pretty good layman's terms that time time doesn't stop but time ebbs and flows over itself rather than time just continuing in a straight line it's just very it's a very weird concept 
And I like that the characters have to keep moving, but space and time are a concept that are folding into each other. And uh, space and time are not always linear. And that's proven in Face the Music. Even though the characters have to continue moving on a linear path, space and time is collapsing in on itself, proving that it's, you know, like that whole Doc Brown wormhole thing that he takes the piece of paper and turns it in on itself. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a, I, I don't know, I think they did a good job. Well, like I said, you got to throw the, you know, real rules of logic out the window mm-hmm. um, while there's real science about some of this stuff, you know, for a fantasy film, you just have to accept their rules and, and go with it. And I still think that they're, you know, I, I don't like the, uh, you can go into the future to see yourself kind of concept. It's fun. Mm -hmm. And that's, I didn't mind it. It it was very entertaining and face the music. Of course. I, uh, I did like it. And like I said, I think this film actually did the best job of being a, Bill and Ted movie, I'd say even better than uh, Excellent Adventure. However, without Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey, you don't have Face the Music. So if we're going to talk time travel, I'm going to go like super meta on you. And it's like they had to go back in time, make these two substandard movies just so they could make this amazing third (laughs) chapter in their own franchise. (laughs) So now we understand why they had to do this. And it's like, now it makes sense. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> the The premise for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, though, is it's it's funny and stupid at the same time, because this utopian society has been created around the world because these two goofballs in San Dimas, California, have created music that unites the world, that stops you know, that, that stops all war and cures hunger and just creates this wonderful utopian society where everyone is excellent to each other. And so the movie starts out in the year 2688 with the infamous George Carlin playing Rufus, who he does such a great job with a limited role. You know, he comes in, he's in very, very small amount of both this and Bogus Journey, but his every scene he has is impactful because he's such a presence on screen. But they, he, he goes back in time to make sure that Bill and Ted pass their oral history report so that Ted's dad doesn't send him to military school with him flunking out of high school. So that's the premise of the movie. And again, to get into the time travelness of it, I don't know how you come from a future that's been created on something that happened in the past, but you've got to come back to make sure it happens. Yeah, and that's the paradox, right? In... In the future, Rufus was always going to have to go back in time because that's what had happened. So no matter what, Bill and Ted in 1989 met Rufus, and Rufus hasn't been born yet, but in 2688, he then takes that step to go back in time. It's like, you know, it's like the same paradox we get with the Terminator. I think a lot of time travel movies, you know, will get mentioned in this conversation, but uh, in Terminator... I think you could, I think that makes a little more sense that somebody is coming back in time, but then if you kill John Connor, then there is no need to come back 
in time because then that future see it just I hope everybody's keeping up with this because this is <laughs> so it's it's <laughs> this is heavy. It's called <laughs> it's called a predestination paradox. That's what this type of film is called. And if you go watch there's a movie called Predestination which yes. is an amazing film and it didn't get any love and it deserves so much love because Ethan Hawke uh plays the main character and he is just stellar in that film. Yes. But Predestination mm-hmm is a film about this type of paradox that the future is written and no matter what you do, you go back in time to make sure the future happens. And so whatever has already happened is going to happen, but you as the predestination paradox need to make sure that it continues to happen. And so that's what happens with this film is that Rufus goes back in time to make sure that what has happened is going to happen. And so it was always going to happen that he was going to go back in time. And I'm saying the word happen a lot, <laughs> but hopefully it, that makes sense. And hopefully people out there that haven't seen predestination will go watch it because it is in a messed up movie and it is, it really messes with your mind and you really do have to watch it like twice back to back or, or within the same week to really get it. No, I agree. Predestination is, is really good. So a guy from the future comes back to the past to make sure something happens and then gives those people a time machine to then further travel through time. (laughs) But they still have to get back to the exact same time they left. So it's like you've got the time machine. Right. And then, like we already established, they break that rule in the second one by doing exactly what I'm saying, which is they disappear for 18 months to go learn how to play music and then come back. They could have done that with the history test, too. There was no clock ticking, as it were. Right. The only thing I can think of is that at some point after Bogus Journey, they would have to go disappear for 18 months to put time back on its course. And maybe that happens and we just don't see it or they don't explain it. But that's the only thing that would make sense in this film, right? That they went somewhere in time for 18 months and learned how to play guitar and then went to that moment in time to play guitar. And then after, they then disappear for 18 months to get time back on its course. Now, see, that's this is where you're, uh, you're bringing up another point of their time travel. And this is I did like. This is, this is one concept of the time traveling they do um, in Excellent Adventure that I, I was a fan of. And even when I did see the bits and pieces of the movie back when I was a kid, I always thought this was really, really cool. Not having to see every part of the time travel adventure, but just making a list for yourself of things to do (laughs) once you finished with your main objective, Mm -hmm. which I thought was super neat where they're like, Oh, we'll need a tape recorder. Oh, we'll need to take my dad's keys. And oh, when the all these things, it's like remember later on somewhere in the future we have to go back in time and set all these things up, mm-hmm. and they're just saying it, and it's almost like magic that it's then happening, mm-hmm. and it's like wow, that's really neat because we know, and we don't have to watch that. That's the boring part: getting a tape recorder, <laughs> right. taking keys. We don't need to see it. They just have to say that they will do it, and then we assume off screen they have done it. So the same way with the eighteen month thing, you don't have to see them practice you don't have to see them disappear you just have to assume that they did do it as they're making the list right i love at the um, end of bogus journey too when they they do that the same bit with de nomalos who is the the yes. villain in this film and 
we we can jump into Boga's journey in a second, but I just like that they do the same thing. They fake him out by letting him get a gun, but it's a gun that they planted because only the people who win the battle will be able to go do all these things. Right. And I think that's that's genius. It's so funny. Yes, I because in the first one, it's just them making the list. But in the second one, it's them outlisting somebody else. Yep. Yep. Well, I'll get the key. Well, I'll do this. Well, I'll get the gun. Well, I'll do this. Well, I'll fix the gun because only the winners can do that. And I was like, wow, that was really cool. So I, I do like that element of it mm-hmm. is out, out thinking who's going to be able to do what with the time machine. And, and I thought that was, I thought that was really fun. Yeah. yeah. So let's go back to excellent adventure because there's just some awesome parts. I just, I, I can't speak enough as to how much I love excellent adventure the fact that they go back in time and you don't know how many times I've called Socrates Socrates because of this movie. Uh, Just because that's, you know, I knew who Socrates was from school, but when I heard them say Socrates, I just started calling him Socrates. And I thought it was hilarious because 12 year old Phil would think that's hilarious. A lot of kids did that in high school Mm -hmm. and I, I hadn't seen the movie, so I didn't really get it. And then when I did find out like, Oh yeah, Bill and Ted call him Socrates. I was like, Oh, Ha. <laughs> so that one kind of got lost on yeah. me. <laughs> but they, they get Socrates, Genghis Khan, Joan of Arc, Napoleon, Beethoven, Lincoln, Billy the Kid, Sigmund Freud, and their most excellent princesses, Princess Elizabeth and Princess Joanna. And the the group, when they come together in the mall, because they're all out of time, and I think it's great that they all just accept the fact that these people time traveled and came back and got them. Like, there's no use in making it where they're freaking out. Like, that's just taking away from the movie. So just do what they did, which is accept that people are here and go with them because why not? I think that's great. They don't have to explain it. They just say, come with us, dude. And they do. Through quite a few language barriers, but yeah. Right. But they they still do it. And I think it's it's great. The scenes when they're in the mall and... You know, um, Beethoven is playing all those keyboards and it's just so funny. And, you know, Billy the Kid becomes their like their sidekick because he's the first one they take. So he's the one that's helping them with everything. And he speaks English. And he speaks English, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I also love that Napoleon went and hung out with Ted's younger brother, who we don't see in Bogus Journey, but does come back in Face the Music. So I'm glad that they didn't just forget him continuity wise. But I love that they go to a water park that's literally 20 minutes from my house right now in San Dimas. <laughs> and every time I have to drive by that, I always think of the scenes in the movie where Napoleon has the sunblock on his nose and he goes down the slide. <laughs> I just, there's so much about the movie that I just love. And and I've never been to that water park, but you know, I, I know I someday need to go there just to know that I was where Bill and Ted shot. Well, as a concept that, that is funny to me. It's it's interesting enough to make me wish that Excellent Adventure was a better film. I I think film wise, it it just doesn't hold up. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it. I know you've got more of a nostalgic feel for it, but mm-hmm. watching it now and having been familiar with it, uh, man, there are so many parts that are just they're cringe worthy. Like you know, ogling the stepmom. And, yeah. uh, just even, even the princesses that whole, they only meet the princesses for five minutes 
and that was enough for them to fall in love. And well, have, haven't you seen any Disney movie with princesses in it? They fall in love in less than five minutes, so it's perfect. <laughs> well, see, I always thought that there was more segments of them being around the princesses that I had just missed. Like maybe I hadn't seen enough of it. You know, I'd only seen bits and pieces. I thought there was more of a story. I thought they engaged a little more. I thought maybe they said more than like four words to them. You know, I thought there was a real like thing, but no, they just immediately are in a room with them, talk to them for like a second, and then they get put on the chopping block and then they disappear. And then all Ted shouts is like, goodbye, princesses. And they just wave. And then at the end of the movie, Rufus is like, hey, I went and affected all time in history by taking these two women out of their time. And I'm going to give them to you. And they like it. With no explanation. But you have to remember that the princesses were never in their time. Be taken from their time and blah, blah, blah. Sure. Yes, exactly. Sure. (laughs) Uh, What a paradox. Even Bill and Ted write their own revisionist history in Bogus Journey where they're like, yeah, and the princesses that we saved and brought them here. No, you didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if time... Time travel kind of Swiss cheeses your brain like in Quantum Leap, but uh, you guys didn't save anybody. You <laughs> you ran, and Rufus went back and brought you some concubines. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very true. It's very true. Uh, see, if only they said, and then we'll go back and get the princesses, and then the princesses appear, that would have been better. That would have been a lot better. But it didn't happen that way. You have to remember that the princesses are part of their band, so the Wild Stallions can't make the music they make without the princesses. So, all right, so we get through the the film, and at the end, there's this awesome scene of them acing their exam, and all the people from history coming up and, and doing either their, their pantomiming that Bill and Ted are explaining or coming out and speaking like Billy the Kid and Lincoln. I just think it's a lot of fun. I loved it. Yeah, I will say this for it. It does just cut to the meat of the premise. There's no extra time wasted uh, with any sort of shenanigan that doesn't have to do with the plot. Right. Um, and and to that end, I will I will give it credit for just being you know a start to finish, uh, just a little adventure with with little sidetrack. However, there are certain scenes that just really go on a little too long they they just they don't they don't looking back from now to then the whole first five minutes of bill and ted's excellent adventure i mean even you have to agree with your love of the film that's a real clunky scene getting introduced to bill and ted yes yes indeed yeah it's not great really the movie doesn't pick up and start being truly fun till Rufus shows up back in time. You know, the, getting to that point about 15 or so minutes into the film is a tough watch. Yes. Yeah, and and I agree with you the whole Missy stuff is weird and um, you know, that just continue it through the whole franchise which it's it just it doesn't need to be there, but they continue doubling down and then tripling down on it. <laughs> and actually, now that I think about it, when uh, in in Face the Music, when Ted recounts 
her her storied history, yeah. he forgets <laughs> that she actually married the bad guy from Bogus Journey. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Denomalous. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about Bogus Journey really quick. Um, Bogus Journey, they're, they're still trying to write the song that will unite the world uh, because their music still hasn't done it. But they, Denomalos, in, it's now the year 2691, so time has continued to go fluid in the future. And he comes in to Rufus's class, because I guess Rufus is a teacher, and he steals the phone booth and sends evil robot Bill and Ted back in time to kill Bill and Ted so that the world will actually change, so that the future will change. So he's here trying to affect the predestination paradox by by changing it. Right. So that he can become the ruler of the world and people will stop being excellent to yes. each other. Now, now we are definitely in Terminator premise. Yes. Yep. But because of the way that time works in these movies, they do stick to that, that no matter what he did, he was always going to lose because the future was written because of the predestination paradox. So although they kill Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted were always supposed to die. And Bill and Ted were always supposed to go to heaven and meet station. And they were always supposed to come back and make awesome robot versions of themselves. So, and death was always supposed to join the band. Like that's what was always supposed to happen. And Denomalos should have understood that. If he was Rufus's teacher, he should have known that, but he didn't. And he tried to affect time and, and lost. Well, I guess if time machines are just sitting around in the future, I mean, everybody'd be monkeying with time. I, I'd like to know where time travel even came into play in, in this future that Bill and Ted created. So, right. so the creation of time travel through the phone booth is a necessary part of their own existence. Because like you said, without it, Rufus can't have always gone back in time and always helped them pass their test. So ergo, yeah. the time machine is, is necessary. Right. Yeah, I think they, they we just have to accept that sometime over the 700 years between Excellent Adventure and the future where Rufus is, that it's been invented. And for some reason, somebody made it an old phone booth where you have to plug in on the phone, the exact coordinate of time to travel to. And that's where they then go through the circuits of time to get there. It's a point A to point B linear trip. So as you said, the predestination paradox, it always was supposed to happen. How did Rufus know he was the one who was supposed to be the one to go back in time and help them pass the test because you've got over 600 years of history since they existed. And for somebody to decide, like I couldn't right now say, oh, I'm the one who has to go back in time and make sure, you know, event X happens because it's already happened as far as I'm concerned here in this present. And unless I look up a history book that says Eric Walensky popped in and popped out, but there would be no history book for such a minor event as passing a history well, test. Well, remember, Bill and Ted have saved all humanity, so therefore the history books would have been written about them and they would have been talking about Rufus because they didn't... They were either too dumb or too honest that they talked about everything. So 
everyone would have known that someone named Rufus would have come back in time and Rufus would have known that his destiny was to then go back in time when the time was right. Okay. All right. That's how I take it. That's how I take it. I like that. But if you, if you think about it, you know, these things are going to happen, but you don't know when they're going to happen. Right. So Rufus knew based on history that Denomalos would go back in time to try to kill Bill and Ted. He just didn't know when it was going to happen. So you have to think that when Denomalos broke in and blew up his classroom and took the phone booth, Rufus had been preparing for this for a long time, but just never knew when it was going to happen. So it caught him by surprise. True. And he would have known Denomalos went back because of all the newspapers that wrote about Denomalos. Right. And Missy getting married to him. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's the weird paradox and Denomalos should have known. He should have known that he was going to go back in time and marry Missy, but fail. And trying to change that outcome is kind of against the way time travel works in these movies, but he can still try. Right. Well, and then of course, Rufus was already back in time and let, Bill and Ted get in the contest in the first place. Yep. To make sure that all this would happen. <laughs> right. It's, it's definitely messes with your mind if you think too much about it. And they were really hoping that you wouldn't think too much about it and just go along for an excellent adventure or a bogus journey. But when you do take it apart, there, there are holes, but you just have to try to figure out how to fill them. And I feel like the writers who are the same writers for all three films I feel like they they did their best to fill the holes as best they could. And actually, Bill and Ted was filmed uh, closer to the mid-80s. It just wasn't released until 89. Yeah, it was supposed to be released in 88. And I think in the original movie, they make reference to that. And then they had to dub it to be 89. Mm. Um, because they filmed it in 87, expecting an 88 release, but it didn't get picked up and so when they were in post and were going to release the movie in 89 they had to dub over i think there's three references to the year 1989 and i think one of them for sure is rufus or george carlin you can see his mouth doesn't say 89 it says 88 hmm i didn't notice that but uh i but my, my point is i don't think in 87 or 88 um people realized the you know, mega Comic-Con type analysis that was to come 10 to 15 years later down the road where, like you just said, uh, you know, you're just not supposed to really think about it. Oh, that's all the internet does now is think about <laughs> exactly. it. <laughs> and it makes things ruin their childhood because they think about it too much. <laughs> oh, see, we were always supposed to have this podcast. Yes, we were. I didn't tell you, but future me came back to tell me to start this with you so that we could do this and that our 12th episode would be about Bill and Ted face the music just so we could get into this conversation. So thanks, future me. Wow. George Carlin didn't come tell you to do the podcast? I'd be more impressed no, if George no. Carlin did. Unfortunately not. So anyway, Bogus Journey. Bogus Journey is not a good film. No. It's, it's a fun film, but it's not a good film. And when I was watching it the other day to prep for this, I just kept... I kept thinking, why did I, why did I love this so much? And truly, I think it's because I saw it at probably 12. And for a 12 year old, 
the jokes in this are funny, but for a 40-year-old, the jokes in this are flat. Oh yeah. I didn't I didn't smile once. Death is the only redeeming yeah. part of this is his that was it William Sadler? Um yeah. it, he's great. He is great and he has some funny lines and their interaction. That's when the film finally like gets together. Sort of like you said with the first film, it does it takes about 15 20 minutes until they start time traveling till it gets good. This one too is just so clunky. Although I did and again, I I appreciated a lot of this film for like the intent behind it. I just thought the execution was way off, but I yeah. did really like their mutual proposal. That was a funny scene to me. Yeah. Yep. It was. It was good. Um we'll we'll have to note that the princesses are played by different people in all three films. <laughs> uh which is unfortunate, but it's the way movies are made, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, did, the, the mutual proposal was good because it just shows that Bill and Ted are destined to always be together and always do things together and at the same, you know, do things at the same time. Right. And that continues and face the music until they finally learn their lesson at the end of the movie. But And see, that's what I thought was really good and we'll get to face the music, but... You're right. There's There's so many clunky moments and the few good moments just can't break through to make it a better film. Than it, than it was, which is unfortunate. But I do love, you're right, I love the proposal scene. I love the scene where they are playing death to win their lives back. Yes. I mean, all the different games they're playing are great. I love that they're playing Twister. It's just so funny to see death sprawled out on the floor playing Twister. And William Sadler does a great job. He knew what movie he was in, and he went in 100%. Mm-hmm. So they, they go to hell, they win against death, death has to bring them back, but they go to heaven because they need to figure out how to defeat the evil us's. Well, before we get to to heaven, though, the whole personal hell scenes were cringeworthy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and apparently they were supposed to have taken... Uh, there were some scenes taken out where I guess the giant rabbit and the grandma are chase them down in present day. But I guess those scenes were cut um, at some point. So they, they were going to try to tie them in again. Yeah, it's definitely a good thing, but they were going to try to tie that in again, that there needed to be one more fight with them before they finally got to the, to the rock concert. But, but they were cut, which brings up a, a point I want to make too. The time on these, there are crisp hour and a half. Yeah. It's just a real quick get in, get out, and there you go. You either like it or you don't. We're not asking a lot out of you to watch these films. When I talk about how they, they don't waste any time with subplots or side characters or anything that doesn't have to do with the plot, it it moves the film along, but I also think it doesn't give the film enough heart. and. And I don't know if it needed it in the first two, but when we get into face the music, that's where I really feel like totally redeems the first two films and kind of gives us the Bill and Ted that probably really would have caught my attention back in 1989. Interesting. But back to Bogus Journey. So they they go to heaven because they need to create something to defeat the evil asses and are taken to Station. And it's the the creature that can make one word mean anything. Like a Smurf. <laughs> and 
like a Smurf. That's right. Um, and Station is the best scientist in the galaxy, I guess. We're meant to believe. You know, they, they even say you think that the best scientist needed to be a human, which is interesting to think that if there's a heaven or a hell, that there are other creatures in the galaxy. And if you're meant to believe what many religious people believe, that there's one God and one heaven and one hell, it would make sense that all these other creatures out in the universe might have been created by that being and would then go to the same heaven or hell. And so Bill and Ted meet Station and take him on a journey back to San Dimas where they go to the hardware store to get a lot of stuff and he jumps into himself to create a large station that can then build good robot Bill and Ted. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> and this is where the movie, like, it's enjoyable to watch, but it's a bad film. You know, this is where all those, you start pulling on a thread and it just unravels. Well, this is where, like I said, if Excellent Adventure didn't waste any time with side plots and sub characters, this is where Bogus Journey totally wasted time yeah. with Station. Because you could have you could have made that a real interesting character piece for somebody. Sure, the concept that it doesn't have to be a human, but but that's kind of wasted because it's not like heaven was filled with like the Moss Eisley cantina or anything. Right. Right. Station literally was the only alien there. So mm -hmm. it, it, that concept of a larger universe, even into the spiritual just didn't really play out by only having one other alien in the film. And it, I don't know, I guess they figured, well, we already got death. Why don't we get an alien too? Right. Exactly. And that's where they said, how can we one-up the first movie? We got these historical figures. Let's get death and let's get an alien instead of historical figures. Now they see historical figures in heaven. Right. Which is, is fun to see, but it's not time travel right? to see them. Right. It would have been funny if they got like the same actor that was Abraham Lincoln and saw him again in heaven and talked to him. That would have been funny, but they, they didn't do that. So they go back to earth from heaven and... The, they make these robots. The robots then defeat the evil us's on stage at, by punching their heads off, which is the crowd goes wild, which I, if I was in that crowd, I would think that these weird robots just decapitated two humans. But I guess everybody's just along for the ride, knowing that they're evil robots from the future. I think they're just a rock and roll crowd who are just amazed by anything. Probably. Like they, I don't think they had any reason to believe that any of it was real, except it was just all a stage performance to build up the wild stallions. There was no visceral spray across the front no. row. <laughs> so I guess that might've tipped me off that that couldn't have been real. How come I'm not covered <laughs> guess, in blood yeah. right now? There you go. That's exactly what went through their heads. So they were like, Oh, there must be evil robots from the future. <laughs> the anomalous comes back as his last ditch effort to try to stop or change time. But Bill and Ted as the predestination paradox will tell us, would always win. So they would always be able to go from the future back in time to set things up so that they would win. And we're just, like I said, supposed to go along with it, which is fun to watch. This is where we then get to the major paradox in the film that they then realize they can't play music, get in the phone booth and travel somewhere. We don't know if it's back in time or forward in time, but they come back looking like ZZ Top and can play guitar better than anybody in the world after 18 months 
where they've also been married to the princesses and both have had kids seemingly on the exact same day. And they call them Little Bill and Little Ted, which kind of gets rewritten, but kind of doesn't in Face the Music. And they then rock out and create a song that for a time unifies some of the world. Right. You know, it, it's fun to watch the end credits. That's like the best part of the movie, in my in my opinion, aside from God Gave Rock and Roll to You from Kiss, which is the final song they play, which is just an awesome song. And since I saw it in, you know, the early to mid 90s, it's always in my head. Every once in a while, I'll get it in my head and I will just have it stuck in my head for days at a time. So yeah, God Gave Rock and Roll to You. And then we get into the credits where the song's still playing and the credits then tell us the the rest of history. So this was truly supposed to be the end of the franchise until, you know, it did well enough. And they said, let's try to make a third. And then it took them like 29 years to make a third. But the they show the Wild Stallion song is starting to unite the world. They play at the Grand Canyon. They, um, you know, death breaks off and goes solo. <laughs> so the band has a split. Of course, we see the paper where Denomalos and Missy get married. Mm-hmm. And the film ends with us thinking that they did it. Right. That they united the world. And I think it's kind of clever that in Face the Music, we're brought back to these characters that just haven't been able to do it. They got close, but they just couldn't do it. And the band broke up, and now it's just Bill and Ted again trying to come up with the song that will unite the world. We're then introduced to a new paradox in this film where space and time are intertwined and on the verge of collapse. If you fold it all on top of itself, it's this one thread now that's happening throughout all of history, past, present, and future, and space. So I don't think they knew this was truly going to happen in the future. I think it's kind of a new anomaly that's popping up in this film, and it happens now for everybody at once, instead of happening back then, and we see it throughout time. Does that make sense? Except that when they're in the future, that's explained to them that they play at M46, and that's what stops it. They're watching it happen in the future. But then here's the thing. If if it did happen in 2020, in 2420, they could have been watching this in the future if they had the right technology. So it's like, because it happened in the past, anytime in the future, you could look back on it. Yeah, but that's where they're trying to make us go with this space and time is not linear now. And so it's happening everywhere at the same time. And although they know that they have to play, they don't know what the outcome will be. Because if space and time collapses, it collapses everywhere. And all of history will have still happened, if that makes sense. But because of this blip now in the space-time continuum it's going to end all of history in that moment across all time. So the Phil and Eric that are doing this, that are re-listening to this podcast in 2025 to say, what the hell did we do that for? If space and time were to end right now in 2025, because of the way the space and time rules are being set up in this film, it wouldn't have ended in 2020. It would have ended in 2025 for us. So what are we watching? We're watching now. Everything that happens now (laughs) is happening now. Well, let's go back to then. We can't. We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. (laughs) 
Uh, so yeah, it's you got to look at this baseballs paradox too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such an interesting concept that it really does hurt your head to think about it too much. Because, like I said, this movie isn't about time travel; it's about space and time travel, and that's why they don't know what the outcome is going to be because they don't know if they're going to get there in time to save it this time. Right. So anyway, face the music though. Let's, let's talk about it rather than just going to the end of whether or not they save space and time. Whether I can get my head around that whole concept or whatever, ultimately I really, really liked this movie as, as far as being a part of this trilogy. And, and like I said, it, it really, if you think about all three being a complete story and they even say that with Rufus's watch, sometimes the story doesn't make sense until the very end. Mm-hmm. I I will say that the, the end as it were of the Bill and Ted trilogy here, this film, it took the best parts of excellent adventure and bogus journey and kind of tied them all together. And you wouldn't have got, a good film like this without kind of a clunky beginning clunky in my opinion yeah. um, from the first two just diving in. As I said, the other films didn't waste time with subplots and side characters or getting deep with any of the characters, but this is where I think face the music shines is you did finally get a real look at this relationship with these princesses who were nothing more than you know, side bits just to further the plot mm-hmm. there. They have that, those emotional scenes in the emotional, but funny scenes in the therapy sessions right. where the princesses are trying to get Bill and Ted to be like, Hey, you know, you guys, you have to love us as individuals. You guys have to see your individuals. We get that you guys are great together, but you've got to, you got to grow a little bit. And I think that's where the first two Bill and Ted, even though they pass their history test and they succeed at that rock concert, they, they don't really grow as people. I don't think, right. I think they're the same guys. And I think now that we see a character growth, that's what I really, really liked about this movie. I, I agree with you. They, they don't grow and it's, or they didn't grow to this point. And even though they had kids and they're, they're pretty good fathers because they teach their children what's important in life, which is great music. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, you can tell that they care about their families. They just don't know how to do it independently. And that's also been a, a crux, you know, a crutch for them throughout all of space and time that we've seen. Well, they don't really address this point and, and I don't feel like they needed to, but just imagine Phil, if when you were 17 years old, you were told you were going to do this thing that was going to unite the world. Mm-hmm. And 25 years later, you'd spent your whole life trying to do this thing because you were told you were supposed to. What does that kind of toll take on you? Yeah. Like emotionally yeah. and, and even, you know, physically, that's, that's just stress on your, you, you can't take a day off. Not really. Nope. I mean, after you had this adventure where you're on a time machine and you went to hell and then you went to heaven and you did all these things and and then it stopped. They didn't time travel again. Nothing happened. 
And it's just now you're on your own. Now figure it out. You're supposed to unite humanity. Do it. Gosh, how could those guys have not have gone insane? Yeah. Yeah, well, luckily they always have a positive outlook and everything's excellent. Right. So they just kept going. They kept trying. They knew that they were the ones that needed to do it. And, you know, plot twist at the end, but they, in essence, they were the ones that had to do it. And they yeah. get there. Were you fooled, though? Um, No, because... I of, absolutely was not. Yeah, I wasn't fooled, but I still had a stupid smile on my face when they figured it out. Because, you know, of course, they never said Wild Stallions, which in the past movies, they always said Wild Stallions. And now they were saying Preston Logan. So right there, that was the giveaway to me, that it was going to be their their daughters that came up with the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the daughters were traveling through time, picking up people, I was like, they're forming their own band. Yeah, this is, it's going to be them, obviously. But... Without Bill and Ted, the daughters wouldn't have been born. Without Bill and Ted, they wouldn't have had that amazing guitar riff at 7.17 p.m. at MP46. So they did, in fact, save space and time, but their daughters are the ones that that made it happen. So I don't know if maybe that changed the course of history. And in the future, if there is another movie, we'll not only see that Wild Stallions are revered in the future, but that Preston Logan might be revered as well. Yeah. Well, it's just even like Star Wars. Who's the chosen one? Anakin or Luke? Right. Is it Luke because he actually did the deed, or is it Anakin because he had the kid who would eventually bring him to the point of being able to kill the Emperor, you know? Right. And I will say, Samara Weaving, who plays Thea, I just, I love everything that she's been doing over the past couple years. So her being in this movie gives it a little extra you know, bump for me. Anybody out there wants to watch some good movies, Ready or Not is probably the best, like, horror-ish thriller movie of last year. And Guns Akimbo is just a fun movie with Daniel Radcliffe and Samara Weaving. So those are those are two movies that came out in 2019 that she's in that I just thought were, were amazing. So definitely check her out. She's been in some other things as well. Ash vs. Evil Dead, which is another great horror franchise. But... Um, the fact that she was in this movie playing Thea really made me want to invest even more in her. And then Kristen Shaw as Rufus's daughter, Kelly, she, I don't think there's been a thing that she's been in since Flight of the Concords that I haven't enjoyed. So throw her in the movie too. I'm all there for it. Yeah, she's great. It was a tribute to George Carlin because George Carlin, Carlin's real daughter's name is Kelly. And so they named her Kelly in this film to pay tribute to, to George Carlin. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's go through Face the Music because we're running short on time here, but man, there were so many good scenes. No, so. we're not. We've got a phone booth, Phil. <laughs> That's true. We, we can take as time much time as we want because we've already done this podcast. That's it's right. already happened. <laughs> Jeez, man. Are you even listening to yourself? I don't know what I'm saying here. I already know that this podcast is one hour, 28 minutes and 46 seconds. So I don't know why yeah. I'm... Why are you sweating it, man? Hang on, hang on. George Carlin's here. Hey, let me finish. I'm in the middle of it. Okay. All right, I'll take care of that later. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so go ahead. Tell me Tell me what you loved about the movie. Tell me what, you, what made it make the others make sense. First of all, Bill and Ted, uh, Alex and Keanu, 
they they showed up as Bill and Ted. That's always the worry with these 25-year-later, 20-year-later sequels. It's like, are they going to capture that same magic? And in Indiana Jones, I really didn't feel Harrison Ford brought Indy to life. Maybe maybe some scenes, but maybe not others. But then when he was Han Solo, boom, he was the, he was there. I thought Mark Hamill was Luke Skywalker, you know. So, you know, and, and then you've got movies like The Terminator, where you've got Linda Hamilton reprising roles. You know, you've got Arnold reprising roles as Terminators. And, you know, are they going to bring that same energy? Because, you know, just physically, they're older. Can they still capture that magic? I think both Alex and Keanu totally captured the essence of Bill and Ted as older guys. And I don't, I, the only thing though, that I, I, Keanu did not smile enough for me. Yeah. In the first two, man, they're always like, yeah, doing, yeah. Even if there's nothing really to smile about, there's a smile when they do their naughty. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like Keanu smiled enough, but I yeah. I still felt like he was Ted Theodore Logan. So I there is a contingent of the internet, one of which being a friend of mine, um, Andy DiGenova, who he and I were talking about the film, and he said he didn't think that Keanu acted in a way that he you know it, he thought Keanu didn't want to be there making the film. Where I look at it a little differently, I think that it's been a long time since Keanu Reeves has played a character like Ted. I mean, obviously, it's been 29 years since Bill and Ted Bogus Journey, but he has been doing action roles and very serious roles for the past 15 years, maybe? Yeah. And to get back in the mindset of this character that you said goodbye to 29 years ago is really difficult. And I think, I, I don't feel like he didn't want to be there. I feel like, you can watch the movie and you can see the scenes that they filmed first because when they film movies, they film them out of continuity, you know, out of order because what? they have locations for certain times. And so they're going to do all the scenes at this location now. So Bill and Ted's house, you know, there's scenes in the beginning of the movie, the middle of the movie, and the end of the movie at Bill and Ted's house. But you, th- they probably filmed all of them at once. Um, so because of that, I feel like you can see the scenes that were filmed first because Ted isn't Ted, but there are other scenes that happen either right before or right after at different locations where Keanu is almost exactly what you think Ted would be 29 years later. And I think to go to your smiling thing, I think it's, you know, he's, he's weary and he's tired and they've been at this for a while. And if you remember in the beginning of the film, he's the one that says to Bill, maybe we need to give up. So oh, yeah. he's the one that is, I, I think he's over everything being excellent. I, I, and I totally get that. I, I really do. And that's why I would agree with you. I think he wanted to be there. I think he wanted to do this. Yeah. Um, I think he was all in and I, and I saw, I did see a wearier, more broken down Ted and yeah, he's the one who thinks we got to throw in man, because this is this has been 25 years and, and, and it's kind of that stress that I was talking about where if somebody told you, you're going to save the world mm-hmm. with your yep. music and you just 25 years, you didn't have it. You'd be starting to go a little insane. So I, I really felt like he was Ted again. I just, I, I missed the smile. I wish there would have been just a few more flashes of that, that grin. Cause he just did it so well. 
But then also to your point, and this is what I was hoping too, was that when he did Bill and Ted the first time, I mean, he's a young kid. He hadn't done any of his, you know, he wasn't Neo. He hadn't done Speed. He hadn't, uh, you know, done uh, John Wick. All of these harder roles. I don't even think he'd been in Point Break yet, right? Bill right. and Ted is one of his first films. So yeah. Yeah. I think over time he's he's learned this, you know, kind of a different different method of acting perhaps. And maybe he brought a little too much emotion to Ted, which is again what I said was sort of missing from the first two, any kind of growth. And and that growth kind of took that smile away. But everything he did, I believe, was deliberate. And yeah. I don't think any of it was out of like, oh, Jesus, the pay, not wanting to pay check here. Yeah. This is fan service. I'm just bleh. Yeah, I, I think he had a good time with it. I'd love to find out the order in which they they shot this. You know, I, I'd love to get like a location and date list for this sure. film. So that we could know what scenes were first and what scenes were later. Because I, you know what I think blows my mind is the opening scene at the wedding of Ted's brother and Missy he is more happy and more smiley in that scene than he is in pretty much the rest of the movie until the very end. So I wonder if they filmed the wedding scene, like one of the last things, you know, because he just was the embodiment of Ted in that opening scene. I agree that if, if he was, if he was even smiling ever in the film, that's when he was doing it. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, it would have been nice to see the, that cha, you know, just, Just yep. one time, you know, but I, I don't think when, when you talk about, are they doing it for a paycheck or, you know, what do they really want to be here in this film? I don't think anybody signs up to carry an entire film and, and the extra makeup they went into to be the different Bill and Ted's mm-hmm. throughout their journey. I mean, gosh, if I was doing that, if I was, Keanu and it's like being asked to reprise a role I would have looked at that script and said you're cutting all this makeup crap yeah I'm not I'm not doing it yeah no, you know they, they, and it seemed like they were having the best time when they were buff Bill and Ted in prison yes <laughs> it yeah seemed like they were they were just hamming it up loving the seven to you know six to seven minutes they were on screen as those characters well and then hamming it up as the you know faux British accent right. <laughs> You know, they, like I said, you don't do a film like that and act like that if you don't want to be there. You you basically, you know, right. in my opinion, you Harrison Ford it and say, you're doing <laughs> all this one on a soundstage. I want three lines. I'm supposed to be on vacation. <laughs> Give me a gun. <laughs> and yep. I'm just going to laugh the rest of it. <laughs> yep. Talking about future Bill and Ted. So they have to go save space and time by writing a song at 7 17 p.m at mp46 which nobody knows where mp46 is and they get the idea to go to the future to steal the songs from themselves even though bill then says if it's from ourselves it's not stealing so they go to the future and the future is bleak (laughs) they find out that they never wrote the song and first they go what two years ahead yeah and meet themselves and they're just playing at this like karaoke bar with two people in the seats and they try to run away from themselves 
and then they go five years in the future and what you just said they meet themselves with british accents who are just pretending to have the song which has this scene then has a great cameo because they give them a song bill and ted leave the house and meet dave grohl and find realize that the song is dave grohl's song they then go how many more years in the future's prison they they go every they they go to 2022 then they go to 2025 2030 and then i don't know how far from 2030 right. to their deathbeds right but but yeah they 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 basically they end up in prison because of because dave, broke Grohl's, into dave Grohl's house yes because of breaking into <laughs> dave Grohl's house <laughs> it's smart it's good <laughs> i don't know that they'd be there for 5 years but you know they then take on these rubber suits and are buff bill and ted and i love that Ted has excellent tattooed across his chest. The, the quick trivia about that scene is they shot the scene in a hundred degree weather and Bill and Ted were wearing 40 pound rubber muscle suits. You don't do a scene like that for a film like this. If you're not committed, going back to what you were saying about. Oh, you know, Ted being there. Mm-hmm. but they were having the time of their lives. You could, it just seemed like they were enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Then they go to the future to their deathbeds and they just have this quiet, intimate moment with themselves and Ted taking the moment to sit with himself, Keanu sitting with himself and saying, I feel like I never really knew you, Ted. And then older Ted saying, well, that was my fault. And like the meta-ness around them talking to each other about not being open with who they are as a person and not truly letting themselves dive a little deeper than just what's on the surface. It just, it made me think, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to give a, a scene like that and a couple lines like that in a movie like this, it just made me sit back and go, wow. Yeah. They're, they're really trying to make us care more about Bill and Ted than this just being a fun movie that you pop in to watch. Exactly. And that mm-hmm. goes back around to the point of them having no growth in the first two. And now it's like, I never really knew you, AKA as an actor, I never developed you. Right. And it's like, Hey, that was partly my fault. And it's like, now is that the character talking back as the character saying like, well, I was never meant to really be known beyond that. And it, yeah. So the meta-ness of that whole scene yeah. there. Yeah. was really, really good. And I think, I think a funny just look at an actor character relationship, you know, and, and just, and then even just to not even get that deep, just the characters themselves. Just imagine if you got to see yourself on the deathbed and say, Hey, sorry, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was good. It was, it really was good. good. And it, it brought more character and more heart than, than the first two. Yep. During this scene, we see that they're given the song. I don't know how that old Bill and Ted got the song when the other Bill and Ted's wouldn't have had it because obviously if if we're going with the whole space and time thing not being continuous right now, I, I, I don't know. It's it's a weird paradox that they would have the song, but everybody else wouldn't, you know. I don't know if there's anything to say about that other than we just got to go with it. But we, we found out earlier that the princesses are going to travel through time to leave Bill and Ted. And this is where we find out that it happened because the princesses that are living in the old folks home steal their phone booth to then go back to get the princesses from the um, therapist. Right. And this is where I wonder and question though, that were they really going through time 
to see where they could live in a life where they were happy with Bill and Ted? Or was there something else going on? Because I don't think they ever had the intention of leaving Bill and Ted if they were still with Bill and Ted at the end. Right. Right. And that's where, you know, we got a couple lines about the infinity concept and the, the princesses said, there's no time I'd rather be with you than you or, you know, something to that effect. Right. Than right now. And so I think, I think you're right. I think the older princesses brought the younger princesses through time to say, they can't do this without you kind of thing. So look at what happens through time. If you're not there for them. You know, I think that's kind of what they might've been going for. They just never explicitly said it. Right. Because if they had left them all those years ago, why were they with them in the old folks home? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so now we're, we might even be dealing with multiple timelines at this point. Which, yeah, which is kind of something that they, they say at the end is you deal with infinite numbers of timelines and, and spaces. So you might not just be traveling through time, but you're traveling into different Worlds. I mean, it's all, it's a mind, you know, <laughs> it so, messes with your mind. So now that we're at this part in mm-hmm. the film, and so now they're, they're without a time machine again, mm-hmm. um, and they're stuck in the future and they've got to get back to, to 2020. So now going back just a little bit, a subplot in the future is that if Bill and Ted can't do what they're supposed to do, then another way to look at the, quote, prophecy of the Wild Stallions is that Bill and Ted need to die. And whether that makes any sense at all, I leave that to better people than me to argue. I yeah. thought it was a little weird, but yeah. it just allows us to have this new plot device, the killer assassin robot. <laughs> Dennis which Caleb at, McCoy. <laughs> which at first seems real badass and intimidating until he starts acting. And this was one of the best parts of the film. Yeah. Like if adding death to two is what, you know, did that for that film, adding Dennis Caleb McCoy, this killer robot with a full first middle and last name <laughs> It was hilarious because yeah. then he tries to kill them a couple times and misses and ends up killing Ted's dad, ends up killing both the daughters and the whole band that the daughters put together. And then he's looking at Bill and Ted and then they show him, they like, look, we've got the song. We'll be able to save space and time. So now his directive to kill them is being shut down. But then he has this emotional breakdown and says, oh, but I, I killed your daughters. Oh, I'm so sorry. So then they're like, well, you got to kill us then. And so one thing leads to another, and then they end up going to hell again. And they take the robot with them. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. And then, and then this, see, now this is where the comedy part of this just, and and it's so funny because I guess you'd look at these films as all three of them are a little uneven. Like you got the clunky first 15 minutes of the first two before you finally get to the real plot of it and you start moving. I think this one had some comedy, but it didn't have hysterical comedy until the robot shows up and starts doing his thing at about the 50, 55 minute mark. So for the last hour and a half or the last half hour, you've got uh, you got this robot. Oh man. Uh, when they're in hell and they, they ask those demons for directions yeah. and then they walk away and the robot goes, hi, 
and the demons look at each other and go, was that a robot? In yeah. hell? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think, I'm not positive, I need to look this up, but I'm pretty sure the two demons were the two writers of all the oh, films. yeah. Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon. Um, I'm pretty positive. Yep, they were stupid demon and ugly demon in the credits. So yeah. it's funny that they, you know, they got not only to um, write all three of the Bill and Ted films, but they got a little little moment to actually have some fun with the robot that they created this emotionally stunted (laughs) (laughs) killer robot who now is sad and oh my gosh the things he's and then he's such a dork and nobody wants him around i love that christian shaw yells at her mom on the phone and says you need him after my ex-boyfriend just so funny But highlight of the film, and I think heading into the the climax, the final third of the film, just really, really brought it home. Just, you know, the, the, the silliness of Bill and Ted again. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. Um, we didn't even talk about what the daughters are doing. So they're going through time and they go back to the Bill and Ted style of going through time to bring historical figures together. But this time it's to create a band. And I love the the homage to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure with the two daughters that are the same age as Bill and Ted were when they went through their first adventure. I think that's great. Um, and they're pulling people through time. They got Jimi Hendrix. They got Louis Armstrong. Kid Cudi shows up. <laughs> um, and it's a really cool and interesting band that they throw together. And I, I just... I feel like it's such a fun way to wrap up this franchise by having Bill and Ted do this same type of thing in the first movie. And now they're off on their own adventure on face the music, trying to find the song and the daughters are doing what they did in the first movie to actually build the song. Right. I think it's so smart. Yeah. It's great, great nod. And again, it, it, I would say it even pulls in part two, which is to have the band to play at the concert. Right. Right. You know, which Mm -hmm. is, yeah, so so it does. It takes that historical aspect of one with that you got to have the band ready to go for two mm-hmm. and then creates the the climax of three. But yeah. uh yeah, and then and it wasn't belabored. There was no extra shenanigans in their time travel. It was as cut and dried as the first one. Yep. Go find, you know, they and like you you brought up with the first one. They didn't have to convince anybody. They didn't have to have it was just like, "Hey, we're here. Let's go." But I did like that they had to convince Jimmy at first. Right. Because because I think that even might have been, you know, if any critic was out there going, oh, and then these people just jump in this time machine. I like that they almost kind of corrected that part of one by making the first one, the first get, a little more difficult. Right. Like, would Jimi Hendrix really just go, sure, I'll go with you teenage girls into a time machine? Like, you know, people would be a little more skeptical than that. Right. And so then they decide, Hey, now we know what we got to do. We got to go get his idol and then his idol can convince him. And then, and then anyway, anyway, so then the rest of it goes on, but I, but they didn't, it wasn't belabored. It it actually helped quote unquote, make it make sense. (laughs) Right. Right. And I love that kid Cuddy is like the, the scientific expert in this film. Yes. He's the <laughs> time travel guru. So, so smart. And he understands that space and time is collapsing and all these people are blinking into existence because time is folding in on itself. So everything is now happening at the same time. 
and he gets it. <laughs> I just, I love that they made Kid Cudi that character. It's, it's hilarious. So they go to hell, they go talk to death, and they have to resurrect their relationship with him. <laughs> Boo. See, what I, see what I did there? Yeah, yeah. I did, um, I did. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, funny. They have to resurrect their relationship with him and make him bring everybody back. And this is where you see that Bill and Ted have still not grown enough and the daughters have to step in and convince death. And then I think Bill and Ted watching their daughters, I think that's the turning point for them. And that's when they start growing. That's when they realize, you know, there's there's more than just us doing this. I think when they were in hell there, I think they did get it. There's there's the point where where the hero's journey is like, okay, I've acquired the tools now. I I understand what I need to do, but then there's still that final part of knowing how to do it. Right. You know, they, I think they had grown, Mm -hmm. but now that they're the new people, it's, you know, it's like going through a growth spurt. They don't know how to use their body right now. And then yes, it, it took, it took their kids to be like, Hey, you know, you just, you just got to be a little, a little more humble and understand that there's a bigger thing here. And then I love, and of course, William Sadler, again, just killing it <laughs> yeah. as death, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> it's so funny, so good, same energy. And then when he finally breaks down and he's just like, I'm, I'm sorry. And then they go into it. They talk about, dude, you were doing 40 minute bass solos. <laughs> <laughs> it's what the people want. <laughs> but but yeah his apology and he's he's just and they everybody's happy again and then it's like get us out of here death yeah i i really enjoyed that that yeah. was a good again a good nod for anybody who had seen the first or the second bill and ted but but i think that's the other thing about bill and ted face the music even though it helps to have seen the first two i think you could probably watch three and enjoy it because they do a pretty good job of recapping what you're watching right right i love that um the great leader in the future when they're talking to bill and ted about having to do this thing at 7 17 p.m she says like something about them playing at the grand canyon and bill says we did and that goes back to the end of bogus journey when there's the newspaper clippings at the end and it shows right. Bill and Ted's tour continues at the Grand Canyon. Like it's, it's good that they right. wrap those things into it. I don't like when a sequel will pick up and be like, well, we got to kind of scrub that because we're mm-hmm. going in a new direction, which you sort of pointed out with when in part two, when they come back at the end with little Bill and little Ted, they never say our son's Bill and Ted. Right. They just say little Bill and little Ted. And then they correct that, and and I'll give that to them. I I, I really uh, I think this was a smart way to do it. You wanted to have them have daughters instead of sons. Um, that does, you know, make it different. Well, let me let me jump in and tell you that I, I read an article about um, that Chris Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon had been struggling writing the third installment, and in they they even said in this article in this interview they did that in 2009 or 2010, they were just banging their heads against the wall because they had been writing this film with Bill and Ted juniors as boys. And they just couldn't make the film feel different than excellent adventure. 
And so in 2009 or 2010, they had the idea that we should make them daughters. And that just like exploded the creativity on how to make the characters still enough of an homage to Bill and Ted, but strong and different enough from them to be their own people. And they said that that's what did it. So by like 2012 or 2013, they knew the direction the story was going. They just needed to get the financing to, to make the film. And it, and it wasn't that big of a leap to write them in by giving them the nicknames Bill and Ted and then changing it to Thea and Billy. So it still makes sense with two. Right. That's really all I was getting around to is that the, you're left with the impression they had boys at the end of two, but but because of nicknames, right? they ultimately, it was girls. It, it worked for me. I loved it. I loved the fact that they had daughters and the daughters were huge music buffs, but they were really smart and smarter than Bill and Ted were back when they were 17. And sure. I, I love the band they put together so that when they were brought back by death into San Dimas, boom, they just appear at the mile marker of the freeway, which doesn't actually exist in San Dimas. Mile marker 46 doesn't exist because we don't have MPs on our freeway. But the freeway that goes through San Dimas is the 210, and the exit for the main the main exit for San Dimas is exit 46. So they tried to do that. The world is starting to collapse. Space and time is folding in on itself. Things are appearing where they're not supposed to be because now everything is happening at the same time. So people are blinking out of their time and into you know a different time, quote unquote, even though it's now all happening at the same time. It's just very weird to get your head around, but that's what's happening. <laughs> and just by luck, a guitar center truck is on the freeway with them in the gridlock. Deacon, which is Ted's brother, is is there with Missy. Um, you know, everybody that needs to be there is there. Um, they pull this big flatbed truck around, put all the instruments on it, and just start playing. And that's when Bill and Ted realize with their wives, because they couldn't do it without the princesses, they realize that everyone needs to play together. And that's when they go hit the infinity button on the phone booth. And at the same time, they are delivering instruments around the space and time to everyone, which is just such an interesting concept. However, if we're going to look at part two, that the smartest being in the galaxy doesn't have to be a human. We don't see Bill and Ted go to any alien planets and give anybody on those uh, planets instruments. That's true. So I think two kind of got a little bit bigger than it wanted to in some of its concepts because now those are hard to reconcile with three because, again, if the smartest person, you know, what happened on Station's planet, that's part of space-time. You're right. You're right. Interesting. I didn't think about that. Even even one quick little cameo, like dig that costume out of whatever prop <laughs> closet it's in yep. and hand one to Station and have him just go, Station. Yep. I do like that they say, like Kid Cudi says station to them. So they're not throwing away the fact that that happened. Right. So like the world, the world knows that station was a part of their band and just accepts it. You know, but it would have been nice to see what happened to station and that if they handed station a, an instrument, it would have been cool. Mm -hmm. But then they come back immediately because they go in, you know, one minute, infinite times around space and time to give everybody on earth 
we'll clarify that earth and instrument. And then we see everybody playing instruments at the same time. Once Bill and Ted come out and start their solos, which is really a duet, I guess <laughs> they start their duet um, on their guitars right at seven seventeen, and that saves space and time. Pretty amazing. I, I dug it. So that all that being said, I don't know that we'll ever get another Bill and Ted movie. Maybe we'll get a Billy and Thea movie, but I doubt it. Um, but Eric did. Did Bill and Ted face the music ruin your childhood? Did Bill and Ted ruin my childhood? Um, since I really had very little experience with Bill and Ted in my childhood, um, that's I'd have to say no. However, I think I want to coin a new phrase and say that face the music actually helped enhance my adulthood, if that makes sense. Because this was just a really well put together film drawing from some what I would consider substandard source material to make a pretty satisfying trilogy that, uh, as you mentioned, will we see a Thea and Billy? I, I don't think we need to. I think we've kind of wrapped that all up. And to do any more would be to just maybe kind of haphazardly start making up more time travel rules. And then we'd really start going, well, if they did that and that happened and that, then why did this become yeah. this? So I think ending it here and actually having them and seeing them with no doubt do the song that united all of humanity. Um, I think that's a great place to leave off. I think it was really neat to see Alex winter and Keanu Reeves do this again and bring the level of intensity and and dedication to the roles that they created so long ago. So um, didn't ruin the childhood, kind of even redeemed those two movies for me and, and made them mean a little bit more now that I've seen this third installment. Great. So for me, it did not ruin my childhood. I loved these movies when I was younger, watching them again, like I said, Excellent Adventure, in my mind, holds up with some holes, but still holds up. Bogus Journey doesn't really hold up, but it's still a fun film to watch. And I will agree with you that Face the Music enhances my adulthood and enhances my childhood. I I might say that Face the Music is the best Bill and Ted movie that's been made. Oh, for sure. My nostalgia goggles. Well, for me, my, my nostalgia goggles might put excellent adventure above it just because it's the original. It's got George Carlin in it. It's just a great fun film where face the music. You know, I don't think I said this before, but I have, it came out last Friday. So it's been out a week as of our recording. And I've watched it three times because I enjoyed it so much. So, of course, you know, the first time I intently watched it, the second time I put it on when I was going to bed and just kind of watched it while I was in bed. And then the third time I just had it on in the background to remind myself of key points while we were going to do this. But the fact that I revisited it three times in a week says something, because I don't do that with movies that aren't called Star Wars. So <laughs> so I I loved it, and I'm very happy that it now exists in our timeline you know, I'm I'm glad that they got Keanu and Alex Winter to come back to reprise these roles. Agreed. Eric, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Instagram at Eric underscore Walensky. Great. And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Phil Demo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O. And just so everybody knows, now that we're 
into September, and it is the spooky season that starts, in my mind, September 1st and runs through October 31st, I've started my Scarathon. So you can follow me on Twitter to see the movies that I have started. Take a look and follow along with me. Thank you all very much for joining us. We hope that this look back at Bill and Ted didn't ruin your childhood. We also hope that you will be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood.
Bill, Ted, it's Rufus. Here's your present. You you get the women for writing our society. And that's what our society is built on. Giving women to people because they do good things. Because I think Joanna is the drummer and Elizabeth plays the violin or something like that. Or keyboards or something. But they... um, She's that important. Yep. That, imp- that you don't know. What I she's forget. Like. I forget. She's in it for like two <laughs> seconds. <all right? laughs> you got to remember these princesses are so important that one plays something and the other does another thing. I think <laughs> I do remember that one played drums. So. Uh, 